doors, bolt your windows, and turn off the lights. Welcome to Michael Myers Minute, where I delve into the 1978 horror classic Halloween, one minute at a time. I'm your host, Robert Black. Lori is in the closet. Michael wants in. Which will get me pretty quickly to Carol Clover once again, but contrary to Clover, Adam Rockoff argues in Going to Pieces, the rise and fall of the slasher film, 1978 to 1986. Quote, Michael Myers does not repress his sexuality, nor does he represent the repressed sexuality of any of the characters. This is never even remotely implied anywhere in the film. For, as Dr. Loomis, Michael's psychiatrist for 15 years and the man most qualified to analyze him, says, he is purely and simply evil. Why does Michael kill? Because like the shark in Jaws, 1975, that's simply what he does. End quote. Never mind John Kenneth Muir's suggestion of Michael Myers as Laurie's id in the Tower of Michael Myers, which I mentioned as far back as minute 32. We have no reason to trust Dr. Loomis's interpretation of Michael Myers. Loomis is crazed, unhinged. In the novelization, he's running on some sort of evil radar right now. Because that's normal. And here's a bit from Minute 8. Murray Leader offers up an entire chapter in his Halloween Devil's Advocate series book on Michael as cosmic horror. He refers to Loomis as a Cassandra figure, but draws specific comparison between Dr. Loomis in Halloween and Dr. Uh, Marinus Bicknell-Willette in H.P. Lovecraft's The Case of Charles Dexter Ward. Ward has even escaped from a mental institution in that story, and Willette is Ward's doctor, hunting his own patient. Additionally, Ward is obsessed with an ancestor who he resembles and later resurrects. In the novelization of Halloween, of course, Michael is possessed by an ancestor and acts in echo of that ancestor's prior actions. Leader quotes Linda Williams describing Loomis in an essay, Film Madness, The Uncanny Return of the Repressed in Polanski's The Tempest, as, quote, throwing up his hands in unscientific despair at the unfathomable disturbance of nature represented by the psychotic murderer who haunts the streets of a small town, end quote. Leader himself suggests, quote, Loomis's brand of treatment, in air quotes, has made Michael far worse and has actually reified him into a force of evil by diagnosing him as one. End quote. In the end of the film, minute 88, Loomis will, without the context of Laurie's prior conversations with Tommy, proclaim that Michael is, in fact, the boogeyman. To simply take Loomis's word as gospel in this first film, when we haven't even gotten to the stinger ending, is presumptive and unnecessarily reductive. Then again, we must realize that Halloween is a sort of transitional horror film. The era of the female victim being saved by the savior male is not quite over, but the era of the female victim fighting back and saving herself has already begun. Loomis, like many an adult in a slasher film, is actively useless. Even in coming to Laurie's rescue just a couple minutes from now, Loomis will even then prove useless in his inability to actually kill Michael Myers. Which, that seemingly supernatural escape does support a reading of Michael Myers as something more than human. This, one, doesn't mean that Loomis is entirely right about him, and two, doesn't mean that the film cannot have meaning beyond the text itself anyway. Rockoff quotes John McCarty from Movie Psychos and Mad Men, quote, People, especially critics, tend to see what they want in films, and the more meaningless a film, the more it is open to interpretation, end quote. Rockoff offers, quote, Although his contention that Halloween is a meaningless film was a bit narrow-minded, 
his opinion about the over-analysis of film is dead on, end quote. I'm covering Halloween, one minute at a time. I watched Groundhog Day over 400 times for my blog and so many other movies as well. Obviously, I come down on the side of over-analysis here. But also, if you've been following this podcast, you know that I offer up multiple interpretations and support those claims. Rockoff says Michael does not repress his sexuality, first of all. Rockoff clearly hasn't read the novelization with the murderous hatred he felt at hearing his sister with Danny, how he recalled a picture of his sister as he had seen it a few times through the keyhole of her bedroom or in the crack of his bathroom door, pink, firm, with beautiful tight buttocks and round high breasts with jutting nipples, while ducking for apples at Smith's Grove. The sex between his legs throbbing in an unpleasant way when he watches Annie brush her hair, or walk Lindsay across the street. How he breathed heavily with desire, looking at the sensual bulge between Annie's legs and that stirring in his body when he watched Linda in bed with Bob. Then again, who has read the novelization? Second, Clover argues, quote, Slasher killers have much in common with the monsters of classic horror. Monsters who, in Linda Williams' formulation, in When the Woman Looks, represent not just an eruption of the normally repressed animal sexual energy of the civilized male, but also the power and potency of a non-phallic sexuality, end quote. As Rockoff says Halloween was mostly filmed in Pasadena, and that kind of easy-to-get-right mistake pisses me off. The recent Birth Movies Death special issue on 2018's Halloween franchise erasing sequel makes that same mistake. David Gordon Green, who directed that latest film, refers to Michael's victims in the original film as random when they are merely arbitrary. People in the fandom want to insist on Michael being pure evil, but also want him to be motivated, but never mind the decades of motivation we've been offered. Dr. Loomis calls Michael evil. Halloween does not. Not evil, anyway. Arguably, murder is evil, of course, but that is not what Loomis means. That is not what fans want. I'm all over the place with this one. I apologize. The script says, Holding the hanger with both hands, she thrusts it forward with all her might. She actually one-hands it. Second one, angle on shape. The wire hanger flashes into the shape's right eye. He leaps back in pain. Second two, angle on Laurie. Second four, angle on shape, dropping the butcher knife. The script says he grabs his eye with both hands, but he doesn't really do that. He does put his hands up, but that's about it. Second five, angle on knife. Second seven, angle on Laurie. She lunges forward toward the knife. Angle on knife. She grasps the butcher knife with both hands. Second eight, angle on Laurie. Second nine, angle on shape. And second eleven, angle on Laurie. Jabs it upward. John Carpenter himself was operating the camera inside the closet. His direction for Curtis, stabbed the motherfucker, made her laugh. Second twelve, angle on shape. The butcher knife plunges into the shape's midsection. The script says right down to the hilt. Second thirteen, angle on Lori. Lori sits back, spent. She just sits there in the corner of the closet. There's a thump from the bedroom. Then silence. Second 15, angle on shape as the shape stumbles backward out of the closet. Second 19, angle on Lori. Second 24, reverse. Light spills through the broken closet door. But the shape is not in sight. Second 28, angle on Lori. She has both hands on the knife again as she gets up. The script says slowly Lori crawls around and peeks out of the closet doors. Lori's POV shape. Except she doesn't crawl around and peek out because... In the film... Tommy Lee Wallace, as Michael, has only broken some of the slats higher up on the door. He hasn't completely broken the door. The shape lies on the floor by the bed. 
The script says the butcher knife protrudes from his stomach, but in the film, Laurie still has it. Second 34, interior, bedroom. Michael lies on the floor in front of the closet door. Laurie emerges from the closet and carefully crosses the bedroom, avoiding the shape's body, the script says. She doesn't quite make it that far this minute. Second 54, she throws away the knife. Worth noting before we end, that once again she does not drop the knife. She throws it away. She doesn't want it. It's not that she's carelessly thinking she doesn't need it. She stumbles toward camera, and the minute ends. That is all for Minute 85. Michael Myers Minute is a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. Stalk me on Twitter and Facebook, at Myers Minute, or Instagram, Michael Myers Minute. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a nice review if you like what you hear. Until next time. See you later. Bye. Bye.